How you guys doing? You guys look good. Yeah, look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good today. Look at uh, option number two, whoever that was. Say, you look all right. So that was a clip from the historic I Have a Dream speech delivered by Dr. Martin Luther King at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. on August 28, 1963. Dr. King was a visionary and in his speech, he cast vision for a better future. In a dark time in our country's history, when racism was rampant and our country was divided on a number of issues. Dr. King gave the American people hope. Hope for a better future. Hope for a better tomorrow. He gave them good news. So we are currently in week 10 of our sermon series called Isaiah for Today, where we are spending 10 months going through the writings of another visionary, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was an 8th century Hebrew prophet, which means he lived in the latter half of Israel's kingdom period, so roughly seven, eight hundred years before Jesus. And he spoke on behalf of God to the leaders of Jerusalem and to Judah, and he warned that if they consisted, if they persisted in their wicked ways, that God would use the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon to judge them for all of their evil deeds. So in order to better understand Isaiah, we have broken up the book into some smaller sections. We started with National Disaster, and we are now in our second sub-series called Man on Fire. Look at your neighbor and say, Man on Fire. And we are looking at the prophet as a sign giver which Pastor Jeremy covered a couple weeks ago as a watchman, as Pastor Matt covered last week, and this week as a man led by and filled with the Holy Spirit. So Matt told me this week over lunch that he gave me this passage and this topic because I've become known as the Holy Spirit guy, and I'm totally cool with that. I think that's cool. But for those of you who do not know, I was raised Pentecostal charismatic. And my very early ministry career was as a Pentecostal ordained minister um, at a prosperity full gospel church. And we love to talk about the Holy Spirit. Jesus, not so much. But the Holy Spirit, signs, gifts, and wonders, tongues, prophecy, all that stuff. But as a young believer, I had a lot of misconceptions about what it actually meant to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we empowered with the Spirit of God to live our best life now? Are we empowered with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God, to go to the Cadillac dealership and name it and claim it in the name of Jesus? We laugh, but I, I'm not kidding. This was something that was actually done at this church that I attended. Are we filled with the Spirit in order to be blessed and live lives of material wealth and success for our lives to be happy, healthy, and rich? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit solely for our own personal benefit, or is there something else 
to this Holy Spirit thing? Is there something more? The title of our message this morning is, I need some good news. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I need some good news. So let's begin our reading today in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. And so this week as I was studying this passage in order to prepare this sermon, I fell so much further in love with Jesus. And my prayer all week is that that would be the case for you as we read this chapter together and as we study it together this morning. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to start at verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have it up on the screen for you guys to follow along with. So Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice and I hate robbery. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring that the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Come on somebody. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. That's a lot. So let's unpack it over the next few moments that we have together. This, the implied audience of this passage is the returned exiles in Jerusalem who have become despairing at the sad picture of their current Jerusalem, war-torn. In ruins, ravaged by conquering nations, desolate, in despair, and hopeless. 
It is estimated that this passage of scripture was written between 701 and 681 BC during the end of the reign of King Hezekiah in Judah and about the middle of the reign of the ruthless Assyrian king Sennacherib. Look at your neighbor and say Sennacherib. It's a fun name to say. Around this time, Judah and Egypt formed an alliance, which Pastor Matt talked about a few weeks ago, with the purpose of overthrowing the Assyrians after the death of Sargon II. So Sennacherib, his son and successor, however, was not fond of this alliance and with the idea of overthrowing them. So he went and he flexed his muscles and he destroyed virtually every town and fortress in Judah, laying waste to everything and everyone before Hezekiah was miraculously delivered by God in 2 Kings 18 and 19. We don't have enough time to get into that today, but it is important to know what the people of Judah and Jerusalem were feeling at the time that Isaiah speaks this. Things were not looking good. They were broken and beaten and all hope seemed lost. It seems as though God had forgotten his people. It seemed as though God had forgotten his promises. He promised, if you remember in Genesis 12, to make them a great nation, a nation of blessed people. And now they were looking as though they were going to be completely wiped off the face of the earth. The people needed some good news. And here we see Isaiah In Isaiah 61, he's prophesying or foretelling of what is to come. A promise that although things look bleak now, there is hope. As a prophet, Isaiah has the gift to divinely predict the future. He is a man led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Spirit of God to instruct God's people and to exhort them on behalf of God. Of God. And the prophet in Isaiah 61 is painting a picture in contrast to their current desolation. He is painting a picture for the people hope and encouragement. To better understand this passage, I want to break this up into three sections or three acts. Act number one the empowerment of the anointed one. Act number two, the empowerment of his people. And act number three, a new hope. (laughs) So act number one, the empowerment of the anointed one. Thus far, life has been despair and desolate for the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And in Isaiah 61, it is beautifully poetic language bringing the people good news. Verses 1 and 3, 1 through 3, Isaiah speaks prophetically, but also in reference to himself. And Isaiah says that he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is more than... A one-time emotional experience. But scripturally, being filled with the Spirit is being led and guided by God as you live out your life as a believer. Moses was led by the Spirit. In 1 Samuel, it tells us 
that the Spirit rushed upon David. Judges tells us that the Spirit clothed Gideon. And here, Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why? Is it so he can live his best life now? Is it so that he can drive a Cadillac? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and afflicted, to mend the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to help recover the sight of the spiritually blinded, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah has been empowered by the Spirit of God to preach the good news, to help those who are hurting, and to proclaim a year of God's favor that is to come. Act number two. In act number two, this is verses four through seven, we are introduced to a new kind of people and they are going to do three different things. So, number one, this new people will rebuild. Verses four and five, it says this, they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. They will be rebuilders. They will repair what has been destroyed after years of desolation and destruction. After the devastation of many generations, these people will begin to repair and build the ruins. Number two, this new people will be set apart. They will be set apart. Verse six, it says, but you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. Hold on, what? Common people as priests and ministers of God? I'm sure you all have the book of Leviticus memorized and that you guys are all familiar with Jewish sacrificial systems and the role of the priest, right? For most of you, yes. So we're just going to recap for those of you who may not know that the priest is one of the most important people in Israelite culture. This person is the mediator between the people and God and they are supposed to be so holy That they can enter into the presence of God, into the holies of holies, and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the nation. The priest was the big man on campus, and now God is saying that this new kind of people will be called priests, and that foreigners and people of the world will speak of them as ministers of God. And number three, this new people will rejoice. Verse seven, read it with me. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Verse 7 is really, really interesting to me because this verse can be summed up in one Hebrew word. Parte. Look at your neighbor and say, parte. These people party and rejoice. God says there will be shame and dishonor. Now he will bring to these people everlasting joy. In Act 3, a new hope. This is verses 8 through 11. God says because he is faithful, he will keep his promises. Look at verse 9. 
Their offspring shall be known among the nations, their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring that the Lord has blessed. Does this look or does this sound familiar to you guys? This is an echo of God's original promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says these new people will be known throughout the nations and blessed. A.K.A. I will bless you and make your name great. Do you see the parallel language that God is using from Genesis 12? This is so important for us to understand. God is reminding the people that even though things look hard, even though things look bleak and desolate, the Lord is telling his people, I have not forgotten about you. He's giving them hope. He tells his people that he's going to establish an everlasting covenant with them and they will be clothed in garments of Salvation. Come on, somebody. That's good news. And when all hope was lost, when the enemy was wreaking havoc, when death and destruction was looming, and Sennacherib is at the gates, when Assyria is destroying town after town, and the people live in fear that they are next and they are going to be killed, God speaks. And through Isaiah, he says, The year of the Lord's favor is coming. Where there is mourning, God is going to bring comfort. Where there is ashes, God is going to replace that with a beautiful headdress. Where there is a spirit of sadness, God says he's going to anoint his people with gladness. Where they are tired and worn out and faint of spirit, God says he's going to clothe them in a garment of praise. The Lord will bless his people and clothe them in salvation. It says like a bride and groom deck themselves out in elegant clothing. Such is the way God is going to clothe us in his robe of righteousness. And all the nations will sing praises to the God of Israel. Isaiah gives them hope. Hope and encouragement to rebuild. And that people will flock to the city and that they will be called priests of the Lord. And God will make a new covenant with them. And Isaiah says the people will be saved. In their darkest hour, in their time of need, at their lowest point, God speaks. And he gives them hope. Hope that tomorrow will be better. Hope that it won't always be this way. Hope that the destruction that they see now will one day be beauty. Hope that where they're feeling hurt right now, it's going to be healing. Hope where there is pain in the future, it's going to be for a purpose. Where there is destruction now, there will be dancing. Where there is shame and dishonor, there will be a double portion of blessing and everlasting joy. So what does Isaiah tell the people to do? He says, rejoice because the year of the Lord's favor is coming. Rejoice because there is hope. Rejoice in the hope that they have that God will make right all that has been made wrong. Hope for a better future. It says he will cover his people in salvation and righteousness. This is good news. Y'all ready for this part? It's my favorite part. Turn with me to Luke. I don't know if y'all are ready. Go to Luke 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to start reading at verse 14. Stop at 21. Are y'all ready? All right, let's let's get to it. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. 
Come on. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And it says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Oof. Then he says this, come on. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So in Isaiah we read about this man who will set his people free from all of these conquering, invading, ruthless empires, establish a new kingdom. Isaiah told us of this anointed one who is empowered by God's spirit to announce the good news of a new kingdom, God's kingdom to the poor and afflicted. And he will establish a new kingdom, rebuild a new Jerusalem. And this kingdom will be the place where God's mercy and blessings flow to all of the nations. Jesus is that anointed servant. Jesus is the king who has come to make right all that has been made wrong. Jesus is the king. The spirit of God was upon him. He came and preached the good news to the poor and the afflicted. That is the gospel message of salvation. And he didn't just mend our broken hearts. He gave us new ones. We are new creations. Paul tells us the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He proclaimed freedom to those who were captives and enslaved to sin. Come on. Romans 6.14 tells us, For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but you are under grace. And he has set us free from the shackles of sin where we were once blind. Now we can see, John tells us, whom the Son sets free. Come on, we are free indeed. He comforts those who mourn. He gives beauty for ashes. He clothes us in salvation and righteousness. So what should we do, church? Rejoice because Jesus is our hope fulfilled. For the person in here battling that drug addiction and for the person in here who loves that person and is going through it with them, to the person in here dealing with the bad doctor's report, to all of those listening who have lost loved ones, to those of you who who feel poor and afflicted, to those of you in here who feel captive to sin, to those of you in here who feel trapped by depression, to those of you in here who feel bogged down by anxiety, to those of you in here who are not sure how you are going to make it another moment in the situation situation that you're in. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus has defeated sin. He has defeated death and Jesus is our only hope. Amen. So I don't know if y'all were aware of this or not. There was an election this past week. It kind of flew under the radar. Nobody really knew about it. But I want to encourage you this morning that it does not matter who is in the White House, whether you are thrilled or whether you are devastated, our King Jesus is still on the throne and he is our hope. 
And we, like the people of Judah and Jerusalem, are at a pivotal moment. No, Sennacherib is not at the gates of St. Louis waiting to lay waste to our country, our city. But our country is divided and broken and people are hurting and lost. And we must find our hope not in the Oval Office but in the heavenly throne. Amen. Biden nor Trump are the Messiah declaring the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is. Jesus is our Lord and he is our Savior. He's the reason for the air in our lungs and for the life that we have. Jesus is the hope fulfilled that there will be a better future. And it may not be in this life, but we know there is another one to come. Amen. Where he will wipe away every tear from our eye. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more shame, no more depression, no more disabilities, no more loss. Where there is mourning, Jesus will bring comfort. Where there is ashes, Jesus Jesus places upon us a beautiful headdress. Where there is sadness, Jesus anoints us with gladness. Where we are tired and worn out and faint of spirit, Jesus clothes us in a garment of praise. Come on, somebody. Jesus is our salvation, church. And Jesus is our fulfillment of hope. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy and we, his church, are the people of his kingdom and unlike in the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord is not just upon those special select few like Moses and Joshua, David or Isaiah. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have salvation and are clothed in righteousness and the Bible tells us that we now have the spirit of the Lord within us. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Ephesians 1, 13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the gospel news of salvation, and you believed it, it says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the Spirit of God living within you. There was Moses and Joshua and David and Isaiah. And now there's Dante and Tiffany and Lindy and the Zilkies and the Bowers. I want to tell you this morning, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and within you. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you are the new people described in Isaiah 6, 61, 4 through 7. You are empowered to build to be set apart and to rejoice. Not empowered to build up the city of Jerusalem, but you are empowered to build up God's kingdom. Now the spirit of the Lord is upon you to continue to do the work of Christ. Where there has been devastations of many generations, where there has been racism and injustice and cruelty and discrimination and sexism and hatred, we are called to be the ministers of God, to build up God's kingdom here on earth. You are set apart as priests to bring good news to the poor and to the afflicted, to mend the brokenhearted, to help others open their eyes so that they can see Jesus for who he is. You are the priests of the Lord, set apart for his purposes. You are the ministers of God. You don't believe me? That's okay. 1 Peter 2.9 says, come on. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. In Christ we are chosen, royal, holy, and his people. And I remember when I was a little kid, and I was chubby and not very athletic. It's okay, you can laugh. 
See you guys smiling. I was chubby and I wasn't very athletic. And I remember we'd go out uh, at recess. We'd go to play uh, basketball. And I remember going out to the basketball court with all the other kids. And then, you know, the two athletic kids get to be the team captains. And everybody else lines up. And they'll say, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. You're on my team, you're on my team. And then they'd get done and I didn't get picked. And I still remember the sting of being eight and not getting picked to get to play on the team. It sucks to not get picked. It hurts to not be chosen. And guess what? The Lord is telling us right here, I want you on my team. I'm going to pick you. You are now people for my possession, which means if you didn't have belonging before, guess what? Welcome home. You have belonging in Christ Jesus. Amen? And this was only made possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of that everlasting covenant that we read about in Isaiah 61. This new covenant. And within this new kingdom, for those of you who are now in Christ and following Jesus, we are one body. The Apostle Paul tells us there is not Greek and not Jew. There is not Republican and Democrat. I added that part. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all. And guess what? He is in all. Jesus, the anointed Messiah with the spirit upon him. He preached the good news. He saved the sinner. He opened up the eyes of the blind. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies. He came and lived a sinless, perfect life, fulfilling the law, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he laid down his life as the final sacrifice for sin, as the final atonement for the sins of the world. We could not earn it and we could not deserve it. Sin held us captives and we were headed to death and to destruction. But guess what? Jesus is our hope. Proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, setting us free, laying down his life for us and giving us everlasting joy. Amen. And that's what we remember when we celebrate communion. And so typically we practice communion on the third week of every month here at Rooftop, but we're changing it up a bit this month. And in our understanding, communion is a symbolic reenactment of who we are as God's people. We are God's children gathered around the dinner table. We are his adopted family because of Christ's death on the cross. The cup reminds us of his blood poured out for us and the bread and wafer remind us of his body that is broken for us. And here at Rooftop, we practice open communion, which means it doesn't matter um, what church you go to or what denomination you are affiliated with. Anybody who believes in the unique, Jesus as the unique son of God, has repented of their sins and been baptized for forgiveness. And if you would, get out your cup. Peel off the top layer, remove the wafer, and take a moment to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. Now, drink the cup also in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. 
and for your love and for your mercy. And thank you, Lord, for this text, for this passage of scripture where you remind us that it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter the desolation. It doesn't matter the despair. It doesn't matter the destruction. That you are our hope, Jesus. You are our hope fulfilled. And if there's anybody in here struggling with that, struggling with the feeling of being broken and being held captive to sin, being entrapped by it, being bogged down with depression and anxiety, Lord, I ask that you would open up their eyes so that they can see you for who you really are as a loving father. And Jesus, you are their hope fulfilled. And thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made so that we can have life, that we can have hope. And not only in this life, but in the life to come. Now together as a church, let's pray the words of the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know it, that's okay. We're going to have the words up on the screen for you. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen.